as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the Theotokos, O giver of light. Glory to My name is Father Athanasios Heros, and I'm the dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome back to another live Bible study on 1 Corinthians, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. If you're a welcome back person, if you've been here for many times, welcome back. If you're new, welcome. Let me share with you how it's going to work. Tonight is session 19. Uh, and that means we are following homily 18, but I'll get to that in a moment. If you're new, I invite you to visit our website at liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible dash studies, and you'll see study guides for every session plus a link for the video. Of course, you're already watching the video, so you already found that part. But if you haven't gotten the study guide yet, I invite you to go ahead and download it so you can follow along with this evening's session. Here's how it works. So somewhere along the year 385 A.D., when St. John Chrysostom was a priest in Antioch, he taught a Bible study on 1 Corinthians. Now, we call these homilies, but in fact, we believe they were, to be, they were Bible studies in this particular case because other series, like on our Bible study on Romans, like on our Bible study on Acts, the verses per homily lined up to the lectionary, the readings of the day. In this case, the readings do not line up to the lectionary, which tells us this was an actual Bible study session that he was teaching while he was the priest in Antioch, as opposed to sermons in the church for the daily prayers. So what we do is we take another homily, and we look along the verses for that homily, and we hear what I have a textual analysis, the traditional chapter-verse analysis of what the Scripture says. And then, almost always, St. John Chrysostom launches into what I call the life application, some kind of moral teaching that is inspired sometimes by a verse, sometimes by even one word. Um, and so those are the two portions of our Bible study. For my sake... The benefit here is that we're hearing from St. Paul in the first century in Corinth, a cosmopolitan, very wealthy, multicultural, highly educated, yet divided community, much like our contemporary America. And St. John Chrysostom was preaching to Antioch in the late 300s, which was also cosmopolitan, very wealthy, very educated, very divided, and so has a lot of comparisons. So we have 1st century, 4th century, 21st century, and so the idea is to put all that stuff together for us to gain some kind of inspiration for our daily life. Because as I've said so many times before, even if we memorize the scriptures, if it does not somehow change our life, it's a useless exercise for us. And so we always have the life application section. And then I like to finish with what I call the send-off, some final challenge by St. John Chrysostom to help us, guide us until our next Bible study. 
Speaking of next Bible study, there is no Bible study next week. You're going to miss me. Don't get too worked up over it. You're going to miss me because I have some place to be next week, so we'll have no Bible study. So we have two weeks to get ready for session 20. Session 20 will be on homily 19. Again, tonight is session 19, homily 18, and it covers 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 20. One final thing of introduction, and that is we do have, for those of you watching at home, an online live chat through YouTube. If you're watching us on Facebook or in your email or any other place like on my website, you have to be watching in YouTube in order to participate in the live chat. And let me just tell you, the live chat is the place to be if you are not in downtown Tarpon Springs. If you are in downtown Tarpon Springs, come join us in person. But if you're online, the chat room is moderated by the best, most talented, highly educated. Actually, she's starting to sound like the Corinthians, right? Ta ed educated, talented, absolutely beautiful, a wonderful cook, my wife, Presbyteria Vasi, who, if you're not aware, my wife also graduated from seminary. And because we were late tonight, I should probably remind you that tonight was the Great Vespers for Holy Cross, which is the Holy Cross Seminary. Both my wife and I graduated, so we're also celebrating the feast day of our school, also known as the womb of the church here in America, where all of us priests graduate. So find a church tomorrow and go to Divine Liturgy for the Feast of Holy Cross. All right, Presidenta, who's online with us today? Today we have Joseph from Sydney, Sandra from Thailand, Angeliki is from, oh, Angeliki, I want to say you're from Canada. Angeliki is from Canada, right? Um, Randy from Iowa, and Jane and Ray from Florida. Countries, right? We have, we have Thailand, we have Australia, we have Canada, Iowa. Is that another country? Is it a different country? And of course our friend Ray, here right uh, from, uh, I think, Landa Lakes. I think he's in Landa Lakes. All right, so let's go ahead and start with prayer and get digging in. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. And still in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, a light of our souls and bodies, and to you we give glory, together with the Father who is without beginning, and your all holy, good, and life-creating spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Oh, I'm being chastised already, and it's only a few minutes in, but it's okay. Behind the camera, you don't see him, but I see him, is my son, who is my production engineer. So I'm very proud of my son, Harry. He's doing a great job. He's pressing the buttons to say which camera angle to go to and which slide to put up. So I want to give my son a, uh, a, a little bit of applause there. Yay! <laughs> All right. All right, so let's dig right in. So who wants to read for us chapter 6, verses 15 through 20? 
Who wants to read? Am I going to read? Do you want to, Bill, can you read? But you got to turn your microphone on, but it, good and close. Okay, cool. Chapter 6, verse 15 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of, the, of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have, uh, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, so a reminder, so in the study guide you'll see section one, section two, and what have you. Uh, and actually you only see section one because I forgot to put the section numbers in there, so. <laughs> Forgive me for that. So we're just gonna make our way through. You'll have to find them in the, sermon, in, in the homily yourself. I apologize for that. But you know that, see that life application is section four. So you know the quotes are all from section one through three, so you can, you can find them that way. I know, see that I'm, I'm, uh... <laughs> all right, okay, so text and analysis. So let's just dig right in. Point number one, fear isn't enough to change hearts. Let's know what Chrysostom says here. This is the right at the beginning of the sermon. Now the fear of punishment indeed was enough to keep them in chastity, but seeing that he does not wish by fear alone to set these matters right, he uses both threatenings and reasonings, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's funny because our Western society is so much infiltrated by, you know, the fear of God being, being oh my gosh, God's going to beat me up, God's going to this, God's going to that. And so St. Paul throws some of that in there. He, he always does, but he never rests just on fear. He wants to change people's hearts, and fear doesn't change hearts, right? And so you'll see this theme going through in the next, in the next few homilies where St. Paul is, is appealing to our sense of reason. He's trying to say, look, there's a, there's, a, there's a purpose here. There's something greater than just being afraid of God. Um, and so that, that's an important thing. That's where he starts off right there. <laughs> Point number two. Sometimes, now remember, the titles are mine, right? The, the bold titles are mine. Sometimes we need a little shock factor. Let's know what Chrysostom says here. And the same figure he often employs, not with the same aim, but at one time to show his love and another to increase their fear. But here he is employed to startle and fill them with alarm. Right, so it's kind of like that jolt, like it's not exactly fear, but just kind of shocking us into, oh my gosh, what was I really thinking? Was I really behaving that way? You know, that, that expression, we, we see it also, for example, in the story of the prodigal son, 
where it says he came to himself, he kind of rattled himself back to that. That's the kind of image that I've got here going, that sometimes St. Paul will kind of rattle us back into, into position so we can better think, right? Sometimes you gotta shake things up a little bit. And I think that we appreciate that works even for us, doesn't it? That kind of shock factor, which is, the, which is not the same as getting us afraid of what's coming. Point number three. Now, I have to, I have to warn everybody, right? So we, like last week, this week, and in two weeks, a lot in a couple of weeks, we're really going to be talking a lot about sex. So let's not get um, blushed or anything like that, but realize that this is a serious uh, I mean, all of chapter 7 deals with it, for example, right? So we've dealt with almost all of chapter 6 has been it, now all of chapter 7 in another couple of weeks. So let's not get, get wrapped up in here, but the reality is this. Sex unites two into one. And this is the essence of the spiritual challenge here for St. Paul. So Christum just reminds us, for the conjunction suffers the two no longer to be two, but makes them both one. So there's a theological statement from St. John Chrysostom. In marriage, we are no longer two individuals. And that will have a, um, a cascading effect, right? Here in trying to get us to behave better, and in a couple of weeks you'll see some more referencing these two becoming one. All right, point number four. Sexual sin pollutes the entire body, right? Um, Chrysostom says this, for it is as polluted as if it had fallen into a vessel of filth and been immersed in defilement. Right? He's not holding back there. Right? And this is in reference when, when we're talking about when St. Paul says, you know, sin is one thing, but sin, Im, sexual immor, Im, immorality is sin against the body and defiles the body. This is the reference that St. John Christum has here, right? So there's this clear indication that because we are involving our entire body and you have the two becoming one and you have this and you have that and you have the harlot and you have all this, that this is really desecrating the body um, and just covering it with filth, pollutes the entire body. Number five, St. Paul does this all the time while speaking of one dramatic point, he lumps everything in, right? All sin can send us to hell. Chrysostom says this, both, however, are bad, both covetousness and fornication, and both cast us into hell. But as Paul does everything with good management, so by whatever topics he had, he managed the sin of fornication. So he, he wants to make sure, look, we're talking about fornication on the one hand, but we're not excluding all these other sins from the conversation. Right? Well, keep in mind, I think it was last week, where he lists all these other sins. So this entire time, he wants all these other sins to be coming with us in our consciousness, not just fornication. And that's an important thing because on the one hand, those who were not committing fornication may have tuned him out. Well, he's not talking about me. So what does he do? No, I'm talking about you too. Covetedness and this and that and this and that. So not only is everyone paying attention to St. Paul, but we are reminded that all of this sin is being talked about here. All of it defiles us. All of it brings us in the, in the, in the danger of hell. 
I think that's an important thing for us to, to keep focused on. All right, now we're heading into this two should become one. Point number six. Since we do not own our own body, we ought to be more careful. St. John Chrysostom says this, What then is the meaning of you are not your own? And what does he wish to prove thereby? To settle them in a state of security against sin and against following the empire in proper desires of the mind. For indeed we have many improper wishes, but we must repress them, for we can. If we could not, exhortation would be in vain. I love that, right, that last section, right? If it wasn't possible for us to fix, we would not be encouraged to try. I think that's really an important part from St. John Chrysostom. If it would not be possible, then the exhortation would be in vain. So none of this, but I can't. We can. And that's why St. Paul and St. John Chrysostom are trying to bring us to a lofty point. My point number seven. It helps to remember that we were saved while we were still sinners. Chrysostom says this, For he reminds us of the greatness of the benefit and of the mode of our salvation, signifying that when we were alienated, we were bought. And not simply bought, but with a price. Right, meaning a high value. So while we were still alienated from God, he bought us and he saved us, right? That's why I say, while we were still sinners, God saved us. He didn't wait for us to do the first step, right? Ours is a response to God. It is not a bargaining. Okay, God, I'll do this if you do that. God's already done it. And now we are responding. And I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that God, long before we even did any particular sin, God's already claimed us. God's already reconciled us. And now all we have to do is respond. Point number eight, which is referencing uh, verse 18 we should flee or run away from every evil thought. Now these things he says, that we may not only flee fornication in the body, but also in the spirit of our mind, abstain from every wicked thought and from driving away grace. Right? Don't just avoid it. Run away. You know, run, Forrest, run. Don't stop. <laughs> and... I think that imagery, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to try and stand there and avoid being hit. It's another to pick up and hightail your butt out of there. And I think that's the image that's, that St. Paul and St. John Christian want for us here. When it comes to sin, not just fornication, but even the sinful thoughts, we should run and run and run away from them, right? to flee from them. That's an important thing because normally, um, I'll speak for myself, I am not often as strong as I think I am when it comes to temptation, right? And so one of the tools of the church is to help us flee from the temptation 
because we can't always depend upon being strong enough to stand up to the temptation. That's why we see in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, because we can't always trust that we'll be strong enough to say no. So why risk fending off the temptation face to face, instead run away, run away from the temptation? I think it's an interesting point. I think sometimes we act like we can handle the temptation. Like, oh, sure, I can handle it. I won't fall. I'll just entertain the thought for a little bit. But we usually end up losing. We always end up losing that, that fight. Slack. We don't always lose. But um, it's, it is spiritually safer to bet against our strength. <laughs> I mean, it's counterproductive. You want to think you're always strong enough. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're not always strong. Look, I, I use this example all the time. I come into coffee hour, and there's all those amazing cookies out there. I, I'm in my 50s, I know this about myself. There's no such thing as one cookie. So what do I do when I really want a cookie? I will take one when they're putting them away or when I'm walking out because then there's none left. They take them away, I get the one, and even if I was too weak in that moment, they're gone so I can't have another one, right? Um, and so I've learned that about myself. Now I will, for the sake of full disclosure, Sometimes knowing they're putting them away, I'll take three or four just to be on the safe side. <laughs> that being said, we're not, we don't always lose. Sometimes we win, but we're better off understanding that we won't always be strong enough. We're humans, too. Yes, of course we're humans. That's what makes us... Yeah, see now, no one heard that and they could have made beautiful benefit from that, but you were too shy to use the microphone. One of these days I would turn the camera on you too. Oh, no. oh yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was reminding, you know, a professor at seminary um, reminded us, uh, he said, look, we're all going to be priests one day. He says, the first step in any moral failing is to think we um, are immune to moral failing. And that's a really amazing realization. We'd like to think we're going to be strong enough, but we won't always be strong enough. And so, what does St. Paul say? Flee, run away. Okay, point number nine. God created us and then bought us again. This is what Chris Thomas says here. But he has spoken of these things as gods, not only because he bought them, brought them into being, but also because when we were alienated, he won them again a second time, paying as the price the blood of his son. So in other words, God owns us double. He created us, he owns us. We screwed up, he bought us back, he owns us again. Right? So there's this double whammy ownership that God has over us. And again, this is all about the whole, our body is not our own. We have God within us, right? And remember the old, you know, the old braces, WWJD, what would, you, what would Jesus do, right? 
it was meant to say that if Jesus was in my position, what would he do as an inspiration how to, how to control our behavior? Well, truth is, he's within us, right? And he owns us. Our body is not ours. He's already claimed it. And so when it comes to sin, when it comes to these passions, we have to remember that he created us. And then he even, fine, it's like um, <laughs> when I was a kid, my best friend's bicycle got stolen. And we were going through the neighborhood one day with his dad, and there was some guy selling a bicycle. And it was my friend's. <laughs> and, and so the father went up there very kind of casually, rubbed off of the serial number, said it was the same bike. He goes, why do you want me to pay for this bike twice? What do you mean, man? I go, just last night you stole that bike out of my garage. I'm not paying you for it now. <laughs> but God pays twice for us. He owns us, he built, he created us, and he paid for us. We're better than, well, I mean, we are more, of more value than a bicycle, but hey. Point number 10, even creation glorifies God. Chrysostom says this, So do the heavens also glory him, uttering no voice, but by the view of them attracting wonder and referring the glory unto the great artificer. Isn't that cool? Just in the, the wonder of creation, God is glorified. You know, there's no one who can't sit up in the middle of God's amazing creation and not glorify God. Uh, you, you have to really be, as they say, a cold fish to not see the glory of God in his creation. Whether it's a field of wild, wild flowers or even the, the rumbling of the ocean, you know, you see that and you're just in awe of God's creation. And that's what Chris is saying here is even the creation is glorifying God by pointing to him in the wonders of creation. It's really cool. And yet, point number 11, a holy person is more glorious than all of creation. Listen to what Chris Sam says here, and then this leads us into our life application for tonight. For who shall help being astonished when one being a man and partaking of our common nature and living among other men like adamant yields not at all to the swarm of passions? When being in the midst of fire and iron and wild beasts, he is even harder than adamant and vanquishes all for the word of godliness sake. When he is injured and blesses, when he is evil reported of and praises, when he is despitefully used and prayed for those who injure him, when he is plotted against and does good to those that fight with him and lay snares for him. For these things such as these will glorify God far more than the heaven. I mean... Again, I, I, I say this almost every week. They don't call him Chrysostom, the golden mouth for nothing. But just in that one paragraph, you see just how much a holy person brings God glory. Because in their choices, in their holiness, we see, because we know what it's like, oh my gosh, 
to be made fun of, to be ridiculed, to be cheated, to be this, and yet the holy person still honors and doesn't do this and doesn't do that. And then again, our mind is brought to God, right? Much more than any glorious creation. Because a, a field of wildflowers is not amazing by their choice. That's what Chrysostom's point is here, right? The creation is created in this glorious wonder, but has no choice in the matter. Holy people have a total choice to live that holiness, and that's why there's a greater glory there. I think it's really cool. All right, so on that premise is where we launch now into our life application for tonight. So now you can skip along to section four in the homily. Uh, and this is building on the idea of holiness, right? So our theme for our life application is be holy and glorify God. So let's look at point number 12 here. And again, for you at home, the slides are on the screen so you can follow along with us. Point number 12, the three youths in the furnace were more glorious than the miracle itself because they were willing to die. And I, before I read this, I just want to say, I'm in my 50s. I have heard the story of the three youths for more than 50 Easter's. And I'm here to tell you, I never considered it from the point of view of St. John Christum in this homily. This was amazing to me. That's why I really wanted to share it with you. Listen to what he says here. So that not because of the miracle alone was glory given to God at that time, but also because of the purpose of those who have been thrown in. Now, if anyone would examine this point and the other, as they are in themselves, this will appear not less than that. For to persuade souls to brave a furnace is not less in respect of the wonder than to deliver from a furnace. Isn't that cool? And, and he goes on because the three youths <laughs> didn't know they were going to be saved. He makes a big point of this in the homily. So almost doubling the wonder because they were willing to die not realizing God was going to save them. He even goes so far as to say, I don't think I made a point of it here, did I? Oh, yes, I did. I, I won't go that far. It's point number 16, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. Point number 13. Slide number three. You got it, Harry? Okay. Even now, many bow down to wealth, but the furnace of poverty is glorified. Oh, considering the stock market took a big old plummet today, that's a good, it's a, Poverty and wealth is a good topic for tonight. But as these things are, so also even now are there some who are emulous of these children, who say, your gods we serve not, and your images we worship not, but both the furnace of poverty we endure and all other distress for the sake of God's laws. And the wealthy for their part, even as those at that time oftentimes worship this image too and are burnt. Right? I think he makes a great, again, remember, he's speaking 
to the late 300s, around 385 in Antioch. Wealthy, highly educated, multicultural, right? Just like a contemporary America. So he's equating this battle over wealth to the three children in the furnace, right? So we naturally can do the same, right? Because that's our, that, that, that preoccupation with wealth is what makes our society go around, right? And so it gives us that window to, to be able to say, yeah, throw me into the furnace of poverty, right? We're in section four, huh? Oh, all right. Point number 14, slide four, Harry. Now this is an interesting one because we don't normally hear this perspective. The sins of the multitude can cause all to suffer. Normally we talk about having to suffer for our own sins, but here Christam is pointing out that the sins of the multitude can cause all to suffer. Listen to what he says here. Since if he had not the power to overcome these men in chains, and when they were cast into a furnace, how could he have overcome the Jews in regular warfare, had they been all such as these? From which it is plain that the sins of the multitude betrayed the city. In other words, here the king couldn't overcome these three children in the fire, and yet he overcame the entire city. So Chrysostom's point is clearly the sins of the city, the people in the city, were enough that the entire city suffered. So, and again, we don't often hear that perspective in the church. Normally, we're talking about, you know, I'm not held accountable to their sins or their sins. I'm not guilty of somebody else's sin, but somebody else's sin can definitely cause me to suffer. Right? So, in the example of the city here that Chrysostom gives, but I wouldn't even go in as another direction, right? When someone's sins are taken out against us, right? In other words, when their sin is something that we feel the effect of, they beat us, or they chastise us, or they make fun of us. The, we're not guilty of their sin, but we suffer for their sin, okay? So it is possible for us to suffer from the sins of any. To suffer, yes, but not to be guilty of them. And so there's an important distinction that I wanted us to make. So we see this throughout the Old Testament, even in our modern day, right? The, the sins of the leaders affect the entire, the entire city, don't they? Okay, point number 15, slide number five. Humility glorifies God. But mark also the children's freedom from vainglory. For they did not leap into the furnace, but they kept beforehand the commandment of Christ where he says, Pray that you enter not into temptation. Neither did they shrink when they were brought to it, but stood in the midst nobly, neither contending without a summons, nor yet when someone playing the coward but ready for everything and noble and full of all boldness of speech. Humility glorifies God. I think sometimes, and I blogged about this, I think yesterday, 
Sometimes we give the impression that the martyrs of the church ran into their martyrdom as if to say, sure, kill me, sure, behead me, sure. But they didn't. They accepted it when it came, but they didn't throw themselves into it. We see many cases, for example, I think that this morning was St. Cornelius, who fled persecution, but then was still ultimately martyred, right? The children didn't want to go into the furnace. They didn't say, sure, throw us in. But they were willing to go and put in, be put into the furnace. I think that's the important thing for us as Christians. It's not that God expects us to run headlong into danger, but that if the danger is coming at us, for the sake of the God, in other words, our temptations, our sins, like martyrdom, then we try to avoid. If we can't avoid it, then we accept it. I think that's the point here that Christam is making, that in the humility of accepting the, the torture, God is glorified. But it, it, no, it, it, he doesn't expect us to run into the danger. Now, there are some, except, there are some exceptions, right? We see, for example, in World War II, where uh, the Metropolitan, uh, I can't remember his name now, it just escapes me for the second, but when they were asking for the names of the Nazis, he put just his name on the list, and he turned it in, right? You could say he was going headlong into, into death at that point. He knew it was coming. Um, so there are, there are some, some very few... I would say, seriously heroic acts um, within the Christian story. But for the most part, we're not expected to run into danger, but we could accept it if it comes for the sake of the gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah, you had a question? But can you use your microphone? No, just say it, go ahead. And he was exiled, yeah. So exactly. just like Christmas, exactly. was exiled more than once. More than once. And more than once. He died in exile, yep. They sold them in a different... A lot of people don't know about him. He died in exile, yeah. And then was, then was restored after his death. So they finally came to their wisdom. But like the movie about St. Ectadio, same thing. Mm -hmm. The official church after his death, restored him to his glory, right? Had made all these things about him. So it happens, it happens. Okay, now point number 16, which we'll get into earlier about the three youths. The martyrs glorified God twice. First, in their willingness to die. Second, in their miracle rescue. Listen to this. this and this is what was totally new to me after all these years. For what marvel is it if when they had a guarantee for safety, they defied all terrors? Then God indeed would have been glorified in that he was able to deliver them from the furnace. But they would not have been wondered at inasmuch as they would have not cast themselves into any dangers. For this cause, he suffered them to be ignorant of the future that he might glorify them the more. For this and as they cautioned the king that he was not to condemn God of weakness, though they might be burned. 
so God accomplished both purposes, the showing forth of his own power and the causing the, and the, causing the zeal of the children to appear more conspicuous. I'm telling you, my entire life, I never considered the story from that vantage point. If they knew they were going to be saved, then there's no big story. Because we're always hearing these stories after the fact. We're hearing these stories knowing that God saved them. We're hearing the story of St. Paraskevi knowing that God saved her in the oil. We're hearing all these stories, but they didn't know they were going to be rescued when they got thrown into their situation. And I will tell you, this is that, that, that opportunity that comes with reading these things with a fresh perspective. Because their true faith was, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, we still may burn to death, but we are still not bowing down to your chocolate bunny. <laughs> There's a little VeggieTales reference there. You have a question? Is it from the chat room? No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> veggie tales, veggie tales. Okay, so where are we in time? Oh, we're good. We started a little late, but we're going to end almost on time. So I'm going to give you some time oh. back. Yes, go ahead. I I was curious. Um, I looked up the story of the three youths because it it really is an amazing way to look at it. So it says, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh. Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. So I just wanted to like... Doesn't just say that? No, 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 but to go back to the exact quote to say, this is, this is, this is the quote of them saying it. Not to paraphrase it. Homily gives, brings more of it out. But for me, again, after more than 50 years of hearing this, I never considered that element of it. You know, how they're, how not knowing if they were going to be saved or not, that was that double glory. I think no, that's really cool. The, he could, but he might not. Right? And, 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 and I think... I, I think part of that is important for us to hear in our 21st century context because it tends to be an expectation that God is going to rescue me. So therefore, I got nothing to fear, God's going to rescue me. Well, if God's guaranteed to rescue you, then there's, nothing, there's no big deal about putting your name out there, right? And we tend, as contemporary Christians, I think, to expect guaranteed rescue from God. And um, I think that's it. And then when it doesn't come, I call it a crisis of faith. This happens in the hospitals all the time. Just pray more, Johnny, as if God's waiting for the 110th prayer before he heals somebody or whatever, right? And then somebody doesn't get healed, what happens? Well, I prayed and they still died. Well, yeah, because it happens sometimes. And so I think this one paragraph, I think, is, is, is really important one in our contemporary 
Christian journey because so many people have fallen into the trap of just presuming that God will get us out of every difficulty. And there is no, there is no guarantee to that. We all will die eventually, right? I know, don't be surprised. Okay, so here is our send off. Again, it, lasts us, it has to last us two weeks because there's no Bible study next week. So here's our send off. We must remain pure. For with this most tremendous saying, we must conclude our discourse in order that having the fear of the threat in full efficacy, we may remain purer than gold, thus fear helping to make us so. For so shall we be able, delivered from all fornication, to see Christ. Right, so there's, after all that big circle, we go right back to fornication again, right? And, and, and again, as we talked about last week, this is a, this is a really big topic which obviously the Corinthian church was really struggling with sexual stuff. Remember, the first thing a few weeks ago was a man having sex with his stepmother, right? So there's a serious problem here in Corinth. So St. Paul takes a lot of time here to deal with this stuff, right? And in two weeks, so in homily 19 when you're reading, it's all of chapter 7, okay? So there's a lot to cover in the next two, for the next two weeks. And it's all about sex, okay? So let's not, we're not going to be shy about it. We have to realize that even because St. Paul recognized just how heavy of a temptation it really can be. So we're, it's going to have its due, its due seriousness in the next, in the next session. Okay, any final questions for any of us or anybody in the chat room? No? Well, it's too late if they're on a delay. It's on a, well, of course, now by the time that it's over, it'll be over. Okay, so remember, no Bible study next week. Next, next time will be session 20, homily 19, all of chapter 7. So read the homily at least once or twice. And since we have two weeks, Get a if you can get a chance, read from start to finish without pausing for notes. Read the entire book of Corinthians just to refresh yourself in the sequence of it in terms of the letter. It's sometimes when we're breaking it down into verses, we forget that there's a fuller, a fuller context of the letter. So since we have two weeks, read it from start to finish again and read the homily and be ready for, for our session next time. Until next time. Don't forget, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.